What's happening, runners? Welcome back to another episode of the Trackster Podcast, the podcast where we talk all things about running, the highs, the lows, the ugly bits, and of course, everything in between. Now, we've had a little bit of a break from podcasting of late, but we are back with a bang. Expect regular episode uploads on all major platforms and our new running show launching soon from our new studio, bringing you the best stories from the sport and of course, a load of top quality banter as well. My name is Lloyd, I'll be your host for today's episode, and today we're sitting down and talking with Olympian Andy Uchar. On today's show, we sit down with Andy and run through everything from his journey into athletics, his training setup, becoming a new dad, and his debut marathon in New York City in just a few days' time. Now, if you do want to follow along with what we're doing at Trackster and this podcast, please do head over to Instagram and drop us a follow. And also check out the website, tracksthat.com. That's where we put all of our longer form content from our YouTube channel. And finally, to support this show, please leave us a review, which is now available on all platforms. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Andy Bookchart. How are we doing, Andy? Good. Thank you for having me, as always. Cheers. I love how calm you are right now. That's uh, you're very, We were just chatting off camera about uh, the weather and you seem like you are living the dream right now. Do you want to set the scene for our for our listeners? Uh, so I'm currently on training camp two weeks in. I'm in Fort Nemo, which is in the French Pyrenees, just north of Barcelona. Um, and yet it's very warm today, maybe like 25, 26 degrees. Um, and it's been like that pretty much the whole time so far. It's a, a very enjoyable place to be in the summer months. Um, so very privileged, very lucky. So yeah, sunning it up in Font. Obviously, it's not a holiday; it is a training camp. You are training hard. Um, I've seen a photo go out on Instagram this morning of uh, you and some of the lads that you're training out there with, with Samar and uh, Bashir Abdi. Obviously, it's an incredible place in the world to train. You've been there many times. What is it about Font that you love, and and the reason why you go back to get fit? Uh, I think when I, fir- I first came here in 2015. Um, so yeah, I've been here a few times. I, honestly, it's just a nice place to be. It's, it's an escape. There's like the tracks at a good level of altitude. Like whenever we've come down from here, we've always always had good performances. Um, so it's just like a no-brainer. Just always come back. It's easy traveling. It's fairly cheap. Like it's just a easy place to be. And every time I've come, I've, I've always got fit. So yeah, that's why. Love that. Well, let's take it back a little bit, Andy. You've been in the sport which seems forever now, you know, if you go on your power 10, oh, it's like, mate, you've been, no, but you've been, you've been in the sport a lot of years now. And, and, and yeah. what's, what's good about that is that you've, you've really followed that model of club athletics, getting better and better as you go through the age groups, making it, you know, basically to the, the, pinnacle, of the pinnacle of the sport. And you're now preparing for your debut marathon uh, later this year. So we've got a lot to talk about. So we'll, we'll go back to the start. And I want to really understand how you got into athletics. What, what's the story there? Yeah, I'm probably a bit different to mo- most. I feel like I-, I probably got into the sport a lot later than what a lot of athletes do. Like a lot of them are like, oh, I started going when I was like nine, ten. Parents did this, did that, and for me, it wasn't like that at all. I was very much football, tennis based. Um, and then I think towards the end of high school, must have been like sixteen ish. Um, I think I won like a couple of cross country races at the school, and I got ha- handed a flyer to come down to the local central athletics club. Um, and it was to be fair. It was I didn't really enjoy it at the start, um, and I don't think I actually. I think I probably was a bit upset the first time I went to training because I didn't know anybody. Um, but a month or two later, I was I was in, and like there's a good group of guys, and kind of like just joined into the sort of centrally see family, um, and that was it. Derek took over maybe after a year of me in like an earlier stage group, 
Um, and then everything just blossomed from there. But I was, I was definitely later into the sport than, than most. I don't think I ran as an under 15 or maybe once under 17. I'm not too sure. Like, so yeah, it was definitely from a football tennis background that I got into the sport and probably just failing, failing at tennis and, and, and football and then finding my feet in, in athletics um, late, later on. Yeah, so I mate. Many of us do succumb to failing at being a footballer. We all want to be a pro <laughs> footballer at one point, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned there about the family of Central Athletics Club, and one of the questions I had noted down here was, you know, why do you think they have such a great history as a club for distance athletes? If we look at the club now, they've got, I mean, one of the best six-stage road relay teams or cross-country relay teams. But even going back further from yourself, they've always had, they've always had such a good crop of athletes. What what is it about the club that harvests them so well? I actually, I generally believe like the area that Central is based around Sterling is like a really good place to train. Um, like the track is really good, and like I don't know, like the, the runs and stuff are very easy to access. Um, I, I've lived in a few different places, and like there's definitely a running community in the town, um, in the city. So, I, I, I also think that like hands down, Derek Easton has to get a lot of credit for for this. Um, he creates an atmosphere, oh, definitely when I was there, of it being like a family and it being like almost like a hierarchy at training. So like the best would shine through and you'd kind of just ladder off from there. Um, so as long as you've got a leader, the, the, the rest of the guys would kind of slot into place. Um, and it's always happened when I first joined, like there was like Alistair Hay and Robert Russell were definitely at the top and I was down at the bottom. And like now it's kind of like switched, I'm at the top and... Or when I go there, I'm at the top and people kind of switch in. And, and I know in 10 years' time, there'll be someone else at the top. And I just think Derek's the one who's leading that um, leading that setup, And he's doing a really good job and, and has done it. Like, for how, I don't know how many years he's, he's, been, he's been coaching that, that group. Um, and he doesn't get the credit he deserves. But this year, we won the 12th stage, and, and that was big. So... Yeah, big tip of the hat there to, to Derek Easton. I'm glad you, you brought him up because I wanted to talk about that. Um, obviously, uh, am I right in saying that he was your first coach? Is that right? Yeah, I had like a a, a guy before, Tony, who was just just as I joined the group, I wasn't old enough to kind of get into like the senior guys. Yeah. And Derek led that group. So yeah, Derek was my first, I'd say, official, official coach. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, that time that you was with Derek and starting to, you know, do the hard yards in training, tucking in with the group, working hard with the lads. I want to talk to you about a race that was, you, you might agree or disagree, but I thought it was quite a pinnacle point of your career. And I was actually here this night watching it. And it was in Oxford and it was a 5K mm. and you won it in 13.58. And I think that was your first time sub 14. Um, but I remember being trackside. I think I'd done the 800 earlier in the night. And my... I could genuinely remember this in my head. I was, I was thinking, who the fucking hell is that guy running sub, sub 14 at the front? I, I had no idea who this guy was. Maybe I was just off the scene a little bit. But that time there, you break 14 minutes. That was 2014. Can you talk us through the period of you run that race and then you sign your first professional contract, that short period there? Because I feel that very quickly, 2016 comes around and you're winning British titles and everything's, you know, Rio Olympics and you're you're on a tangent but that point there that those two years what was that like for you yeah so to give a bit of a of what happened that year 2014 so I, I I was really confident in making the team for the Commonwealth Games saved up a lot of money went to America tried to make the team for the 1500 never ran a 5k um, got a little bit hurt my ankle stuff like that 
Um, and then when I got back, coach was like, look, let's get back and let's run a 5K. And I think, I don't know, I'm sure a lot of athletes will agree with me, but like doing the 15, that you recognize the, t- the, the clock all the time, whether you go through 800, you can see what time it is. And then for the 5K, I had no idea what the clock meant, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. So I was able to just kind of like almost run free in the 5K. And I, I, that's when I fell in love with the 5K was at Oxford, um, first race. And I just loved it. I loved not having to worry about like the time, if that makes sense. I wasn't bothered. Like, um, But yeah, I think, I think after that race, I went to Belgium with a couple of the boys and ran maybe a bit quicker, like 13.30. I'm going to say 13.30. Three-ish, maybe that same year, or maybe it was, maybe it was still forty. I'm not too sure, but yeah, I, I, I ran a couple of good races in Belgium, like a thirteen thirty-three, and then a thirteen thirty, and then that was the end of twenty fifteen. And coach kind of said to me, like Derek was like, "Hey, look, I think we're only like five seconds away from the Olympic time. Like, why don't we do the same thing again? <laughs> go, out, go out to America. Like, we know that Mo had a slot in the team, um, so there was two others, and like, I guess there was like a few people like me, like me, Tom Farrell." Um, Andy Vernon, like Johnny Meller, uh, I don't know how many how many names there were that were around that time, and they were like, look, nothing to lose. Um, so I guess like I didn't ha- like you didn't know who I was. I don't think many people did really know who, who I was at that time. So I didn't have any pressure. I didn't have any reason not to to go for it. And like it was Derek and me who thought of the plan, executed the plan, and did my did a race in um, Stanford and ran thirteen nine. 18 or 19 I think it was and I was like oh boom like that's it sorted like I can do that again I'm going to the Olympics and I think like it is gonna I think like at the start of 2016 I'd made my first GB team and I had an agent and he was like hey New Balance want to sign you and it was done really quickly like I didn't really have to think much about it I didn't know anything about contracts and anything about like the the stuff that people don't really see much of so I was pretty naive to it so it was just like yeah this is done for you I was like oh this is amazing like it was just more of a whirlwind at the time than it was like, oh, let's sit down. Is this a good idea? Is this a bad idea? Like, is this enough money? Is this not enough money? Is is the setup right? Is the agent right? Like, there's so many questions that you don't think about because at the time I was just on a roller coaster of like every race was better and I, I didn't really care about the the baggage almost. I was just like, I want to do the next race. I want to go to the next race. Yeah. I want to go to the next race. Um, so I just loved to compete and I knew that every race I was getting more confident Um and yeah, it was just kind of blossomed from that, and that, that was me straight with New Balance, and never looked back. That time that you signed for New Balance, I remember that came at a time where New Balance is a brand in the UK. I mean, they're popping off in America. They had Emma Coburn, Jenny Simpson at the time, but in the UK, they they kind of uh, rebranded themselves and were almost this really cool brand and this new new this new thing that we hadn't seen from them before. And there was a few athletes they signed around that time, like yourself, Callum Hawkins, with two of the athletes that I do remember. Um, and it, and it, it feels like when I didn't know, I didn't have a clue who this athlete was in Oxford, I then did. And then it was like, oh, now I know Andy. I'm looking at his results and, you know, tracking how you're going. Were there any significant moments or challenges in the, those early years up to that point that you faced along the way? Were there any injuries or obstacles that you faced in your career to the point where you signed that first deal? Not really. I remember having it's a really bad thought, but I remember thinking in 2015 like how easy is it to make an olympic team like without having to like, <laughs> like that sounds really bad but, like i almost thought like that like there was a there was like i feel like every person thinks that there's like a wonder like something magic that happens that makes you like an elite athlete or the best of the best and i was thinking i was like what i'm doing now is that 
is that enough? Like, is that all it takes? Because I don't want to do more. So, like, if it's hard to explain, but like, I was thinking, no, like, I get it, I get it. I, I, I kind of understand. Like, is this how easy? Like, I found it so. I was. I found it so naturally to run a five k at the time that like it was. It was. It was easy. Like people say, like when you run a PB, like it's the hardest race ever. It's like no, a PB is usually the easiest race of your life because you're so in such good shape, and that's what it was. Every race was a PB, so I just felt like almost invincible. But like. And I, but it felt easy to me, so I was like, it made it, for me it was easy to make that Olympic team, although it wasn't. But like, I felt it, and that's what my mindset was. It was how smooth, how simple can it be? Like, let's not complicate things. Let's just keep it like as simple as possible in the most simplistic form. Um, and that kind of kept, I guess, like a lot of like negative negativity out of it, um, and and it made it much more simple to to kind of perform. Um, but no, I didn't really have any setbacks apart from like the odd minor rolled ankle and stuff like that like i was just on a roller coaster right of upper trajectory like i was i was i was very lucky um a lot of things fell fell in the right place for me and i mean it sounds like i didn't work hard i, I worked hard i put in a lot of effort but like it was i was enjoying it so much that it was it was easy it was i, I enjoyed it and that year 2016 was was obviously a, a massive catalyst for your career you take the british title in the 5000 on the track you go to the olympics in rio you make the final personal best in the final 1308 6th in rio and i remember watching that race like you were there man you were right there in the mix and i was like shit this is a huge run did you ever take a any time around that August in 2016 after the race to sit down and just kind of digest what you'd achieved to that point and in that race itself? Uh, honestly, probably not. Probably not. It was, I was still on that same roller coaster. So like after the Olympics, my immediate thought was Diamond League final. I yep. was like, I think I can win Diamond League final. And it was in Zurich. And I was like, I've never, I hadn't ran many Diamond Leagues. And I was like, but... I had an invite to go and I was like I think I can win the Diamond League final but like during the Olympic Games like I, I had like quite a bad um, I'm going to say blister I would put a picture up but it's pretty I just kind of ripped the whole of my sole of my foot off I ended up injuring my calf just from running funny and I didn't get to go to, to, to Zurich and, and I didn't like think about the Olympics so I didn't really look back on it too much only kind of like now that I look back and think like actually that was a pretty good achievement of mine um probably all my, my best achievement i'd say um but yeah at the time it was just i was still on that roller coaster of like wanting to race 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 i guess it's just sport isn't it when you're running well you don't want to stop yeah. do you that's fair enough and then a year later and the 2017 obviously still on that roller coaster you make a coach change to terence Mann and you move to america where were you based in the states and you know talk us through that that entire journey there making that switch uh yeah so the switch i'd probably say so i had like a really i had a really good indoor season post uh rio like in 2017 again i felt like i could have gone to european championships and won the 3k definitely um but me and derek said that, that it wasn't a good idea we wanted to focus on london um and then D terence was coaching Lindsay at the time and he helped me a little bit just with like tactics in races like something that we hadn't really thought of before and I just kind of listened to him a bit. And when I went to Flagstaff for my training camp in the spring, I wasn't quite finding, like, the pop of my legs. I wasn't feeling, like, I don't know, I wasn't feeling great. And at the time, like, Derek was going through some personal stuff as well. I was going through some stuff too. And we kind of just, like, the communication that we'd had 
which is I think is the key to like life in general is communication. We kind of lost like in terms of like messaging each day and like working what we're doing training wise, blah blah. I just kind of like got lost. And Terence was there at the track every day, and I was speaking to him, and he was like, "Hey, do this, try this, this." And it was just a different sort of look on approach sort of thing. Um, and I was like, "Yeah, hey, Terence, like, if you want to coach me, then like, let's go for it." Like, and it was a really difficult conversation that I had with Derek, and. To be fair, like, if I could change one thing in my career, like, I probably wouldn't have joined Terence and stayed with Derek. And, or, I, 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 going back, I would never have, I would always have done it. But, like, I wish yeah. I hadn't moved to, like, it wasn't the best move, in my opinion. Um, and, yeah, I think Terence was coaching out of Boston at the time. And we had a deal, like, just, like, a bit of banter. It was like, hey, like, if you ever move to California, then I promise I'll move because I'm not leaving Scotland for Boston. It's just all cold and wet and miserable. Um and he phoned me one day, I think it was, yeah, it must have been the end of 2017. He was like, hey, Butcher, like, I, I, I'm moving to California. I was like, shit. Like, <laughs> I was like, all right, well, a deal's a deal. So, like, I think maybe, like, a month later, I like, packed up, me and Lindsay packed up her stuff and moved out to San Diego. Um, and it was it was a very different atmosphere of, of training, um, for sure. It was a lot. It, it was a lot different and, and I didn't gel with it very well and got injured and it just wasn't, I'd say it, it was a definite dip in my career. Um, but I mean, every athlete has dips for sure, but it's a dip that I didn't enjoy. Uh, but the only thing was, the nice was I was in San Diego and I was getting some sun and it was just a different sort of outlook on athletics, but it wasn't the best in terms of performance wise. And you was with, you was in that setup for how long? So... I moved out and I think I was there for about a year and a half. I think I, I raced, I remember it well, I was going to race Glasgow indoors uh, and that was 2019 and I wasn't running, I wasn't running, I was running all right, I wasn't running amazing and I remember doing training session with Chris O'Hare and he was putting me in, putting me away like easy and like 5k stuff as well and uh, I remember Terence was like, oh hey, like this is, how do we beat the Ingerbrissons? I was like, okay, like, let's try and work out how to be Ingrid Wilson's. And then it was like, let's try and finish top six. And then it was like, hey, let's let's try and make the final. And then it was like, oh, hey, let's try and make this team. And I was like, here, like, we're going to, this is not the way that I do athletics. Like, my yeah. mindset isn't isn't like that. Like, that's not how it works. So, like, straight away, I was like, flew back to San Diego. I was like, look, Terrence, done, finished. This is it. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not with it anymore. Um, and then just dropped the flag stuff and did what I, I'd done with Derek and like did my old sort of training program to try and just get somewhere, some sort of fitness. So when you, when you, when you fly out to Flagstaff, what point of the season would that have been? So this was, so it was straight after Glasgow 2019 indoors, I flew back to Flag, flew back to San Diego and okay. then I said to Terence that it's done. And then I just had a truck. So I drove in the truck from San Diego up to Flagstaff to stay with my agent at the time, Stephen Haas. And I did maybe like seven or eight weeks of just like simple, training bread and butter stuff just to get myself into a place where I could compete that year and just get back into some sort of fitness. Um, and, I, and I managed that. I think I, I was in very good shape in 2019. Yeah, was that... So you said that you went up there and you was doing training that you'd done before with Derek. Was that kind of all off your own back? Obviously, getting advice, no doubt, from people like your agent and stuff, but that was all you heading that up? Yeah, yeah. Like I, I think, like... After time, I feel like you start to work out what training works for you and what doesn't work for you. And like, I, I knew the kind of stuff that I had to do, or I knew the stuff that would get me into some sort of shape. Um, so I just had to do that, and that was that, that was what I did. 
that was it. And it obviously worked out quite well because that year, 2019, you actually set your personal best at the five and uh, at the Olympic uh, Stadium, Olympic yeah. Park, we say, uh, in the anniversary games, 13.06. So real sort of resurgence to form there. Um, almost going back to what you know, as you say, you know that training works for you. You've done it. You've put the graft in Flagstaff and, you, and you've cashed in and run that PB, which is, which is you know, super fast. We then fast forward to where you're at right now. You know, you're sitting in Font Rameau. You're now coached by Gary Locke, training alongside athletes like Samai Farah, Bashir Abdi. Can you give us an insight into, and, you know, I don't know how much, you know, you want to give away, but you're now preparing for the marathon. So, you know, your training is going to look slightly different and we'll, we'll touch on that in a second. But what's your training setup look like now um, for, for people that just maybe aren't aware of, you know, how you operate? The training setup, well, I'm definitely like in a group that is definitely like a different sort of level to what I've been used to. Um, Bashir and Mo are definitely like, well, they are two of the world's best athletes. That's it, simple. Um, so like the training that they do is definitely a different sort of level that I've had to get used to. Um, and that it's very, it feels, it feels like you're in like a, I'm not going to say like African environment, but it's very different to like your British setup, if that makes sense. Um, is it the can you, can you give different. us some? Yeah, give us a bit of insight into what what you mean by that. The banter's a bit. The banter's a bit different. It's a bit. It's way more relaxed. Like it's chill, bro. This is smooth. Like no need to worry. Like everything's all good. Blah blah. Whereas like, I feel like in the UK, it's I don't know if it's a bit more intense, or whatever. But like, yeah, I think these guys are just a bit more relaxed. And I think the thing is, they just ooze confidence. And like, I think that is massive. Just to like, like, this, there is no limit to what they think that they can do. Um, and I think, like, in the UK, I feel like... And I don't think it's the athletes. I think, like, there's coaches and stuff. It's people always in your ear saying, like, just to chill, like, blah, blah, blah. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's a little bit different. Whereas, like, they're just, like, the sky's limit. Gary's like, yeah, you can do this. Yeah, you can do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's always, like... Yeah, it's very positive. And the training itself, Andy, obviously debut marathon late this year. How has the training changed compared to maybe what you were doing with Derek training for the 5,000 and even maybe the 10,000 work as well? I should just say, actually, between in 2019, I was coached by Barry Fudge at British Athletics. He helped me out a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot to get into good shape. I was in not the best place and he helped me a lot. So, yeah, and he, we did do similar stuff. But, yeah, with Gary, um, it is hard to describe. It's almost like it's almost all go, go, go. Like, uh, I feel like on your it's different. Your mindset's different. An easy day. On paper, isn't an easy day, but it just becomes an easy day, if that makes sense. Like, you just start to recover at 600 mile in. You, like, just get used to it. Um, so we're, we're doing the highest mileage I've ever done with longest tempos. It's the fastest tempos. Like, it just ramps up, ramps up, ramps up. I'm just trying to, like, almost, I don't say catch up to Bashir, but, like, just try and get as close as I can to what Bashir can do. And then, like, when I can do that, then I know that I'm ready to run a marathon. Um, and be successful at the marathon too. And in terms of miles, how many how many are you clocking at the moment? Uh, so I think this week will be like around 115-ish, maybe 116 miles. Um, I still think there's, there, I'm sure Gary would say there's a lot more in me, maybe like 120, I hope I'll cap out at. But yeah, I've been pretty consistent for the past sort of 10 weeks at 100 plus. Um, nice. So, yeah, I'm in a good place. And I, I've still got a long time to the marathon too, so I know I need to just be sensible and not 
overcook it and get too excited. So it's it's a marathon, not a sprint, as they say. Absolutely. And in and in that training and with you know Bashir, for example, you said you know you're just trying to kind of catch up. And when you know you know you're in shape for a marathon when you get there, has the marathon training exposed any? I don't want to say weaknesses because it's hard to say as a 13.06 5k runner, you've got weaknesses, but is there any areas of your running that you're like, shit, I'm actually, I actually kind of need to work on that, but you haven't been aware because you've never done that type of work, for example. Yeah. So to kind of like give a little bit of an insight, the marathon training isn't like your normal marathon training that people think of in Britain. It's not like you're like, like 3k reps and 2k reps and, K on, K off. It's, it's really similar to like 5K, 10K training, like really similar, apart from we do a long run that's fast and you do a long tempo. That's it. Like the other session is like, like I think we could also run a really good 5K. Like, I don't think there's, I wouldn't say we're marathon runners. So just We just do a lot of mileage and fast training. Um, I think the one thing I'd say weakness of was like, well, this time last year I came out and I couldn't really do a decent tempo. And the long run, I was getting dropped at like sort of 10 miles. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if something was up last year, but yeah, definitely like I was struggling with maybe the more marathon specific stuff. And I was good at the 10, the 10k, 5k stuff. So, but now it's flipped. Like I, I'm able to do the, I'm able to do a long run quite quick with the boys and I can manage like eight mile tempo with the guys like quite quick. And, and I've still got a, a, long, a long way to go. But yeah, I'm definitely seeing improvements in the areas that we want to see improvements. Yeah, I saw I saw a long run that got posted on Strava. I think it was last weekend. It might have been it might have been Phil Sessman, but he jumped in with you boys, and it was eye wateringly fast. Oh. <laughs> it, was, it was absolutely frightening. But uh, you know, at the end of the day, you want to run those fast times at marathon. You got to do it, right? Yeah, I think like the Sunday long run is quite a funny thing because I think like a lot of the boys who come to Fontenot know that we do a fast long run, and like so, I think there must have been at least twenty people start that long run on the weekend. And, like, one of the boys took it. I, 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 I'm going to be bad because I don't know the guy's name, but he's from France. And he's ran quite a quick marathon, maybe, like, 207 and something like that. But he put on, like, a race bib and stuff like that for the, for, for the, for the, for the long run. <laughs> and, uh, like, one of the other boys, um, Carvalho from France, was, like, introducing people, like, on the start line for the Bloody long hell. run sort of thing. So it was, it was a bit of fun. It's a bit of fun, like... Yeah, like, that's all right. Make it nice. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of banter, and, like, people have fun with it, and... Yeah, but that's I'd say that's every knows the group for doing the Sunday long ones quite quick, and I guess like we only do it on training camp the fast long ones when we're at home. I don't think we do them quite as fast. Um, but yeah, it's fun, and I think everybody enjoys it. And yeah, Phil Phil was there. A few of the other British boys were there. It was, it was a good banner. We do, we on this podcast. To be fair, we don't generally talk too much about the training specifics, just because you know so many athletes are training the same, and it's a little bit you know long in the tooth sort of thing. Yeah, but. One question I actually I'm really interested to know is when you're doing all of this mileage, do you incorporate any form of strength and conditioning training into your week? Because I'm just thinking, how the hell do you fit it in? Like, what does that look like for you? Yeah, lots. We do quite a lot in the gym, actually. Um, we probably go to the gym three times a week, I would say, on our session days. So, like, we train on Wednesday, Friday, and then we count Sunday long one as a session day. So we go, like, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday to the gym. At least that's, like, minimum. Um, and then we, I guess, like, kind of more, I'd say more leads the gym, maybe more Bashir leads the gym. Um, and yeah, like, I mean, I just do what I'm told pretty much. Uh, yeah. Like, I'd say, I'd say more leads it 
and kind of Gary makes sure that like that our form is like that our form is good and that if we're weak in some areas he'll kind of say like this is we should be doing this we should be doing that like he obviously knows a lot in the gym too um but yeah we, so we go three times a week on session days to answer your question Truth. yeah to, to be fair to Mario, he's, he's had some of the best strength and conditioning coaches from yeah. America and facilities and that. So there's, I remember I remember watching videos of Mo training with Galen Rupp and doing crazy stuff in the gym. So he knows his uh, he knows his stuff, which is you know useful for you to just almost shadow, isn't it? And uh, you know a lot of people look up to Mo as this role model, but you know you're now mates with him. Do you ever sit there and think, buddy, oh, I'm uh, I'm sitting on the shoulder of literally the goat? Uh, not. Sometimes it can be quite annoying. Sometimes I'm sure you love it, but <laughs> like, like, like he's just a just a big kid, like just a big kid. But to, to see, to be fair, to give Mo like a lot of credit, he is a very good gym coach. Like if you go into the gym, the one person I'd want to be watching me is Mo because he'll correct you. You'll make sure that your form's good. He'll help you with this, help you with that. Make sure this is the right place. Like he's a bit of a perfectionist. I mean, he has to be. Um, so like. Yeah, he, he's a good person to have around in, in, in the gym. And as a d- general day-to-day training partner, yeah, like, I guess sometimes he's a bit annoying, but he's uh, definitely a good person to have around. And br- he brings a lot to a training camp. Yeah, I met Mo. Uh, first time I properly met Mo at an athletics environment was during lo- uh, what, what during the pandemic at some point. And we were training on a track, and I was timing the boys doing a session, and Mo was jumping in, and... When you mentioned earlier about the atmosphere being different to Brits, I noticed that there with my sort of attitude towards the session. I was like, I've never seen anyone so just chilled and joking around. It was it was almost like he didn't know he was at a training session, but obviously he did. That was just his way of just managing managing it and just having fun. Yeah, like a quick example was like we were at the training track on Wednesday, and the rugby team Toulon were practicing the big rugby team in France. And like we're warming up, we're warming up or warming down, can't remember which one it was. And he just like s- stops the warm up or warm down, whatever it is. Just we just keep going. He just goes in and starts playing rugby with the boys for a bit, <laughs> kicking the ball about. And then, and I'm saying to be sure, I'm like, it's, it's annoying because like he still does the session, and he can get away with like if that was me, like I'm out, like that's it, like I'm a week off injured. But like, he can just he just does things like, be sure calls it. What do you say? I think he said it was. It was like a showman, showman more, something I can't remember what it was, but he was like, I had to go and get involved. And Andy Ray, he was fucking class, he was class, oh, sorry, he was class with the boys. Uh, so yeah, he just, he brings something different to the, to the table. Yeah, he's great value, it's great to see. So we're going to step away from running very slightly, Andy, we're going to yeah. talk a little bit about of uh, what's been going on in your life. So outside of the day job, you're now married to fellow athlete Lindsay. Mm-hmm. Um, and in 2021, welcomed your first child, Max, into the world. How does it feel to be? I'm going to call you a running dad because you're definitely a running dad. How does that feel? It's honest. It's the best thing. They they were here um, for like the first couple of weeks of training camp. They they just left, um, and it's definitely a bit of a, a sore spot just now not having them around. But now he just honestly, mate, he, he brings so much to your life. Like he, his energy is just immense. He has he doesn't realize how funny he is. And I feel like everybody would say like, oh, like their kids' class, but Max is an absolute little gem. He, he can be a bit shy with um, people he doesn't know to start with. But like when he comes out of Shell, he's, he's a really, really good kid. Really good kid. And we mentioned about how intense the British running you know, 
atmosphere can be. How has having Max changed your perspective on things? You know, were there things that you used to maybe worry and stress about that maybe you don't so much now? Uh, I guess like he doesn't. You do, the thing is, you don't have time to think about. You don't have time to worry about things. So it doesn't even enter your head. Like you don't have time. Like when I finish training and I come home, I I'm just straight into dad mode. Like I just become like. I just do my thing with Max. Like, I'm not thinking about, like, recovery and sitting down and, like, seeing what other people have done online or whatever. Like, I'm just like, Max, that's it. Like, how do I keep this boy entertained? How do I make this day fun for him? Like, <clears throat> is Lindsay trained today? Like, how can I help her out? Blah, blah. It becomes more more like a team family environment at home. Um, so, like, training is training and then we have, like, family life. That's it. I think there's a massive gap in the market for a team boot chart YouTube YouTube series like the Ingrid yeah, Ritson show. Oh, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. It would just mostly be Max. It wouldn't really be much of me and Lindsay. We don't bring much to the table, um, but Max brings a lot. <laughs> so, you know, watch this space. We never know. So, learning what you obviously have done within the sport, you, you would have gained so many life skills and, and obviously made mistakes along the way, as we all do. But what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned from athletics that you will ensure to teach Max as he gets older? Mm, biggest lessons in athletics. Honestly, the best thing is just like, I think athletics are so good because it brings so much into your life, but just being being open to challenges and not being scared of challenges is a big one. Um, like not being afraid to put yourself in vulnerable positions. Um, trying to teach Max that some things that are bad are good and some things that are good are bad and blah, blah, blah. Like he, he, he's learning really quickly. Um, but yeah, like you said, we've all made mistakes and I've definitely made a few. Um, but yeah, we live and learn. Well, that brings us on very nicely, Andy, to the next uh, next segment. Now, you've never been afraid of towing the line of controversy in your career. Whilst being a super fast athlete, um, you've always had a, always had a, an opinion, a good opinion, yeah. which I, which I which I rate from people. Um, and you've just finished a suspension sentence. Now, that sounds really serious, but can you just explain to us what that was all about? And and I think you've just finished it, or you know, what's the crack with all that? Yeah, I mean, it was just a silly mistake from me. I was in a podcast very similar to this and just kind of said something that I shouldn't have said. And then it kind of stung me. And it was a time in athletics in the UK that was very disruptive. Um, and I just kind of got thrown thrown the book at. Um, it was it was upsetting at the time because there was a lot of discussions about me whether I was going to go to the Olympics or not. And it was a very stressful period. Um, I wouldn't say that British Athletics had my back at the time when they probably should have. Um, the the person who was running at the time, Joanna Coates, me and her didn't really see eye to eye. Um, and that definitely shone through when the case went the way it went. Um, but yeah, it was a two-year suspended sentence, pretty much just like, be quiet for the next couple of years. Uh, I think it was that anyway. I just I didn't really do much different. I just didn't go on podcasts and try to stay away from it. <laughs> uh, Lindsay gave me a ban for the two years that I couldn't speak. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think it finished, I don't really know, like, I think it finished maybe a month ago, something like that. So I guess I can say what I want now again and then get the next Let's go. Experience. But no, no. <laughs> I'm a, a lot. A lot has changed. I'm a dad now. Um, I've got a sensible hat on. I'm not going to be stupid. And yeah, I, I definitely regret 
saying what I said um, on the podcast. But yeah, it's done now, finished, closed book. Um, and I still went to the Olympic Games and everybody was happy, just a little dent in the wallet. And that's about it. That's all right. That's all good. And are you are you a fan of the sport, Andy? So what I mean by that is, for example, Friday night, you get in from training and you're absolutely knackered and you've got to you know, sort Max out, help Lindsay out, whatever, and there's a Diamond League on TV or something like that. Are you a fan that's going to sit down and watch TV and watch athletics? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a fan of um, like the 15, the, the 8-15-5K sort of thing. Like, I'll be honest, like, I'm, like the other stuff I'm not, well, I am interested, but I think the thing with sport for me is like, I'm really interested in sport at the highest level, all sport. So, like, in athletics, yeah, like, I, I like to watch Diamond because it's the best of the best. And you see the best people compete. But, like, yeah, I wouldn't be like, oh, Lindsay, the shot pot's on in five minutes. We better sit there and watch it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not bought. Like, whereas I would be like, oh, the other thing is, like, I have a lot of mates in the sport who I want to support. So, like, that comes into it too. So, like, if it's a friend running, in the, like, if Dina's running in the 200, like, oh, I want to support Dina. So, like, I want to make sure that Dina's doing good, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, like, yeah, like, I want to watch my mates do well, but I have an interest in like the 5k, 10k, 1500 because, like, I guess, like, that's what I do or did. Like, like that's what I enjoy. No, I get that. Do you know what I mean? That makes sense. I get that. Totally, totally makes sense. Um, I think you have to be a little bit obsessed with it to 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 want to watch, you know, all forms of it. But let's use that example of you're not going to say to Lindsay, oh, the shot put starts in five minutes, stop what you're doing and come and watch it. How does how does the sport change that? So how do they take a fan like you who enjoys the sport, like likes watching certain events, and make shot put exciting enough so that you're like, shit, we've got to get home and watch that? See, to be honest, and this is going to be a pretty rough answer, but I don't think you can actually, I don't think you can do that. Because I don't think, I'm not saying that the shot put's not exciting, I'm not saying that the sport isn't exciting, but I don't think you can change people's opinion on like, it's the same reason why I don't watch like anime. Like, I'm not interested in it. And like, I don't watch anime, like, that's just it. I don't watch it. So, like, you can't then force me to watch it by, like, make, does that make sense? Like, the people who yeah, like yeah. Shotput watch Shotput, the people who are, like, I've, the only thing I think is, like, and people have spoken about it before, but, like, the thing, like, Night of 10Ks, when you bring, like, just 10Ks to the track will make that happen. So, like, I don't, I'm not saying separate the sport because it doesn't need to be separated, but, like, there's definitely a fan of, like, like in Munich for the European Championships the other year, like the javelin was on at the same time, or there's something like javelin or something like that was on the same time as the five k, and the German crowd were interested in the javelin more than they were the five k. If I mean, like, so there's there's definitely a cult of people that follow different events. So like, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm not just saying out there like, is it would it make sense to like kind of separate these things to make it a bit more exciting for each people? Like the thing with athletics that is wrong is bad, and this is I'm sure everybody agrees is the downtime between events. That's the reason why people switch off TV is because a race finishes and there's like 20 minutes to the next one. Like I'm not going to sit for 20 minutes and wait. There's a lot of things to do. So like, I think the issue is, is dead time in the sport. So if you can Mm. stop dead time in the sport, then a hundred percent, I would, people would watch it more. Um, but I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not one to fix it. Definitely. Well, maybe not yet, but never say never. But, um, the, the, the conversation around, do we change up the the way it's currently done? I had a bit of an epiphany moment. I went to the Olympic Museum in Switzerland last month and I was reading about the fella that 
modernized the Olympics. So you had the ancient games and then you had the modern Olympics and he was the fellow behind it all. And it was obviously, you know, big political thing and nothing has ever been done since that time. So we're still doing the same that we've done back then. And I'm and I just sat there and I thought that that's probably what I think should be done in some format. We need to change how an athletics meeting is, is held. So it's not just people run around loads of laps and do an event, then they throw something, then they jump something, keep those elements there, of course, because they're the athleticism, but the way we view it and the way it's, the way it's shown to viewers, I think needs to change. For example, like if someone's doing the long jump and no one's interested in the long jump for whatever reason, how do we change that long jump real subtly to make it more interesting to viewers? Do they need to, I don't know, do they need to long jump over something? Do yeah, they need, yeah. you, do you see what I'm trying to say? Like, I get what you mean. I get what you mean. I get what you mean. Like, I think like one thing is like, like triathlon with the Super League triathlon has definitely changed the way triathlon yeah. is. And people are more interested in that. Like I spoke to a few of the boys when the Tour de France was on like about like, how could athletics do like a Tour de France? Like having stages of like easy runs, but, but just like runs you get time on and then like you do a time trial around the track or whatever like day to day to day to day to day like do you know what I mean like there's lots of things you could do to change but I, again I don't, I don't, I'm not the person to do it I agree with what you're saying it does need to change and I'm sure it will but nobody's quite found that spark yet of, of, or, and that right thing but again I would I would more than happily watch Jasmine Sawyer's jump over a car that would mm. be hilarious do you know what I mean like, yeah, would you let her jump hilarious. over your car? I mean, I don't think you get that. I think you get the height. The height is a bit different. Um, here, you have to open want, the windows. Yeah, yeah. You have to go through, the, through it. Yeah. But hey, yeah, like I, I, I understand what you're saying. It's just, yeah, it's just, it is. It's difficult because it's such a long and prestigious sport, and I guess the people that run it are still like, I'm not like, I'm not saying anoraks, but like they're still like that generation that don't particularly maybe want change. So, who knows? Watch the space, I think, and who knows what happened. So let's set the scene, Andy. You said that you're not the person. Well, let's put you in that position. You're now the CEO of UK Athletics. Now, let's imagine that we don't have Saudi money to play with, right? So we've just got yeah. normal, normal amount of money. Or, you know, who knows what that is. But what would three things be that you'd do first in that, in that job? Mm. Give yourself first. a pay rise? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I think the first thing I would do, I, I would probably get rid of a lot of the staff. A lot of the staff I would get rid of. There's a lot of people there that don't need to be there. I think it's too many people that are there that don't need to be there. Um, and the thing I would change for the athletes is like, and we spoke about it a lot, and there's been a lot of controversy recently with selections and stuff like that. I think like I would be changing a selection policy so that it was very, very clear how to make it into a team and how not to make it into a team so that there wasn't this riffraff of like, I should be picked and I shouldn't get picked or whatever it is. Like, yeah, I think like, I would definitely change that. So get rid of a lot of the jobs to try and get some money. I would change the selection policies. And the third thing I would do, I would be trying to get a major sponsor for British Athletics right now because they don't have any. And I think that is a big, big issue. There are, I, when I wrote this question out, I was trying to sort of predict what you were going to answer this with. And they were, none of those three came up in my head. I, did, I couldn't uh, even think of what you were going to say, but they're actually really good answers. Very good answers. Well, I think like the one thing, like, so like, I, I guess like, I saw a thing online that was about like how they're not taking a full team to Budapest. And I know I've not, I didn't try, I didn't like put myself in a position to, to go to Budapest. I'm not, I'm not bothered that I'm not, I'm not there. Um, but like they said, they're going to have reduced teams, but yet 
like I saw like world mountain running like the world mountain running team like they're sending more and more people to these things like, I don't know why they're trying to like hinder a- athletes from going to champs it just it doesn't make any sense to me I just don't I don't understand it like uh, so yeah that's probably my opinion well, but, and, in that same your, your first point there about reducing staff I don't know whether you you knew this but we've got a team of it, it was a team of 51 I'm not sure if that includes the four they've just added but the team of 51 that was selected and there's 28 staff going yeah, it's just it's a lot. And the other thing I saw online was there was no female coaches. And again, yeah, like, yeah, I saw that. I don't, I don't, I don't quite understand it. Like people always say it's a boys' club, and like they're just really not doing themselves any favors because there's a lot of very good female coaches in the UK. Um, they like, I don't know, lots, lots to work on. Yeah, I, I'm here. That there's a lot. That, the thing is, I would say this is there's a lot of gems in the staffing at British Athletics there are some real real good people there um, and that are doing great things for the sport and for British Athletics but there's a lot of people that aren't um, so so I've asked you about your debut marathon but I do want to talk to you about time goal is there a time goal in mind or is that also got to be kept on the wraps what, what, what's the situation there this may give the marathon away that there is no time goal for the marathon this year that may give it away. And it will be announced at the end of this month. Um, yeah, again, like we've not really spoken too much about what the plan is for Paris in terms of the Olympics, whether it's going to be the 10K or the marathon. Um, but yeah, th- this is just a little test for me and with what my future looks like in, in the sport, whether it's marathon-based or whether it's back to the track. But yeah, I hope it's the marathon. And we'll see after the first one how I get on and take it from there. Yeah, I think I've figured that out. And if I've got it right in my head, then that is a sick marathon to do. Um, the Scottish record uh, for the marathon is held by Callum Hawkins, who I'm sure you've raced so many times over the years. Yeah, That mark sits at 208.14. Now, you have Scottish records coming out of your ears. Um, is that one that you've got in your sights eventually? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, definitely. I think it would be nice to to get Callum's records if I can um, but again like uh, it's difficult I'm not going to bite off more than I can chew uh, it's an event I've never done before I could be absolute dog's dinner at it and I could run three and a half hours or four hours whatever as people think is, is not very fast um, but yeah so we'll take it from there but yeah I think like I mean the sky's the limit I'm just doing what the coach says and following my teammates and we'll see what see what we produce and final question, Andy, and I, and I feel like you might not be able to answer this one because you've got a lot of marathon training to do to this point, but how do you execute the perfect marathon? Oh, I have no idea. I think, like, from what the boys say, and this is just such a, like, this is such a, I would just say such, like, a Bashir Abdi answer. And it's like, just think, like, it's only 20-mile long run, just easy, and then, like, the last six miles, you just push a little bit. And that's, that's all he says. That's it. So that's that's what I think I'm going into this marathon thinking. Like, it's just a long run and then just a little five, six mile pickup. That's it. So, but who knows? It could be an absolute bloodbath from mile three. I'm not too sure. Love that. Well, I'm going to note, I'm going to make a note of that and I'm going to, I'm going to bottle it up and sell it as perfect advice from Andy Bichart <laughs> after you, after you run that Scottish record. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cheers. Andy, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Best of luck for the rest of your your camp out in Font Romeo. And please, for all of us, wear some SPF 50. Thank you. I will. (laughs) I am. Don't worry.
Love you and leave you. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Catch you soon. Thank you for joining us this week for another episode of the Trackstep Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk all things running. The highs, the lows, the ugly bits, and of course, everything in between. Big thank you to our guest, Andy, for his time on the show today. And if you have enjoyed today's listen, please do leave us a review and head over to our Instagram to keep up to date with what we're up to. As I said in the intro, expect regular episode uploads on all major platforms and our new running show, which will be launching very soon from our new podcast studio. Expect a lot of good stories and a load of banter, of course. I've been Lloyd, your host for the day. I'll catch you down the road for a run and a chat. But in the meantime, have a cracking week.